Hello, and welcome to Getting the Best Results podcast, where each week we talk about shortcuts or techniques that will help you get the best results in life and business. It's all about learning a new method or approach, or possibly an insight or an idea that will contribute to your life in a positive way. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones. I'm an author, facilitator, and professional speaker. My focus is on helping individuals and small businesses break through their common thinking to create bigger, bolder, better results. You can find me at simplythebestresults.com, where you will also find lots of other resources to help you break through. Now let's get on with this week's show. This week, we are privileged to have Tom Singer, the Human Connection Catalyst. Tom is an advisor to executives. He's also a speaker and a content creator. After a successful career in sales and marketing, he became a growth leadership speaker in 2019. A decade later, he has brought his high energy presentations and action-oriented content to over 950 audiences. Tom knows that as a speaker or master of ceremonies, he has the responsibility to set the tone for a strong conference attendee experience. Known as the conference catalyst, he creates an atmosphere of fun, interaction that lasts beyond his presentations. Tom is a certified speaking professional, as well as an author of 12 books and a host of two podcasts. The first one is called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and the second is the Digital Enterprise Society podcast. He is married with two very vivacious and high-spirited daughters. So let's welcome Tom. Thanks for being here, Tom. Hey, Cheryl. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. <laughs> I'm thrilled to have you. I really am. So um, I chose you for very particular reasons because I know that you have a rich and interesting past. And when we're, when we're focusing on getting the best results out of our lives and our careers, I know that's something you know a lot about because you seem to have excelled in everything you've touched. Now, I may not know the whole backstory. However, my observations of you are that you've done really well for yourself. So why don't you give us a little background about yourself and, you know, the highlights, please. You know, we really don't need every incident from, you know, riding bicycles to whatever might ever happen later on. You don't know that it was like a 16-hour labor that my mother went through. Oh, dear, dear, dear. <laughs> no, so I, I started my career in sales and marketing. And when you're in a sales and marketing career, you attend a lot of conferences. And I was pretty successful in my sales jobs. And I switched over to marketing and, and had a really good run. But when you go to a lot of conferences, you watch the speakers who come in. And I vividly remember watching speakers, and I'm not talking about the celebrities like Colin Powell. I'm talking about these authors and speakers who would come in who weren't necessarily famous, but had something to say and, and really good content to share. And I can remember sitting there watching them and thinking, wow, she or he, they have a better job than I do. <laughs> and so starting back somewhere around the early 2000s, I started thinking, I want to do what those people do. So I started yeah. studying the speaking business. And in 2009, uh, I made the leap uh, only because I got laid off from my job during the recession <laughs> and uh, became a full-time speaker and master of ceremonies. And that's all I've done now for over 11 years. Wow. 
And what a great way to pivot. You know, you're paying attention. And then when you got laid off to then go, okay, now's the time. Now's the time for me to make a move. Let's make a move. There, there weren't a lot of jobs in marketing in 2009. So there really wasn't any choice. I had to succeed. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Nothing like a little bit of pressure, right? Yeah. Well, okay. So I know exactly what you're talking about, about attending a lot of, it's funny because you go, oh, that I could do that, or that guy's really good or whatever. And then I go to one sometimes and I'm like, oh my gosh, who put that, who chose oh, that yeah. to speak? <laughs> oh, there were plenty of those people. If, if they sure. could get paid to speak, I could get paid. There to you speak. go. Then you're already, you, you're probably already, were already vivacious as you are now in real life. And, and um, that energy would capture attention too. So probably a lot more than some of those people. <laughs> well, since this podcast is about identifying those unique qualities that you bring into the world, I want to talk more about that. I want to talk about your genius and what makes you unique and special. And, you know, what do you think it is? You know, I was thinking about that when, when I kind of listened to your show and realized what you were going to ask me. And, you know, one of the things I think that works in my advantage is how I've been able to do a lot of different things because I worked in sales and marketing, but in a lot of different industries. And people always ask me, how were you able to switch from doing sales or marketing for a law firm, then to a bank, then to a consulting firm or, or other things that I had done? And really, I just was scrappy, right? I mean, I just found that I was willing to go in and try things and work hard and I wasn't scared to fail. And if I was willing to do those things and to put myself out there, sometimes I'd stub my toe, but lots of times just because I was out there, you know, swinging, I'd hit the ball and you don't have to hit a home run. You just have to hit singles repetitively. You know, I heard you, the thing that the most poignant thing I just heard you say was that you weren't afraid to fail. And I think that is people's biggest holdup. I mean, I have to admit, um, you know, I'm willing to risk a certain amount, but sometimes I'm not willing to risk that full, that full failure kind of thing. Like if I can see if it's a calculated thing and I've got a pretty good chance it's going to work, then I'm going to run with it. And then sometimes I notice that I pull back a little bit. Are you, have you always been that kind of guy that just goes for it? No. In fact, I realized in the last several years that in fact, I often did the opposite early on that I took jobs that I knew I'd be good at. I, I, only, I only attempted things that I knew I'd be better at. And then several years ago, I, I just decided, you know what? I've got to put myself out there. I have to try new things. And if I fail, so what? And, and so, no, I wasn't always that way. But once I got over it and started being that way is when I really started to see some success. What, when do you think the turning point was? Well, I've had a couple of turning points. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, I think early on, I, I followed the line of what society told me to do and took the big corporate job and worked for big companies. And I think one real turning point for me was, is when I went to work for a law firm as their director of marketing, they had been my client. I had sold to this law firm and all their competitors locally for several years and my job went away. The company closed mm -hmm. the Austin office. They wanted to move me to Houston. And these particular lawyers said to me, look, we don't have salespeople in a law firm. We have marketing people. But we think you could do the marketing job and bring sort of the magic that you do because I had taken all the business from them away from my competitor. And they're like, we want you to teach us how to do that. Mm -hmm. And 
they essentially gave me a lot of rope and said, don't hang yourself. I mean, that's a horrible <laughs> analogy, but that's really what they did. The lawyers brought me in and this was 18 years ago. This was before lawyers had real true business development people inside the firm. I mean, I wasn't the first person in the country, but I was certainly the first person in Austin to really have sort of this business development role. And I remember one of the uh, competitors pulled one of my partners aside and said to him, we would never allow a non-lawyer to go out into the community and be the face of the firm the way he does. Because I was on boards for the Chamber of Commerce. I was volunteering. Uh, because I had this skill as a speaker, I was um, master of ceremonies for several big tech events. And these other competitive law firms were like, we would only allow a partner in our firm to ever mm. be center stage. And the people I worked for were like, good, you know, because I was <laughs> effective. I was bringing in business. So that was one turning point that really sort of uh, allowed me to, to go out and try things mm. that were, there was no playbook for. The other thing was when I turned 50, uh, I made a conscious effort that I was going to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life. And I was just going to start saying yes to things in my personal and professional life uh, and find ways to say yes instead of no when people brought opportunities my way. And that was probably the second big turning point. That's cool. I've heard you speak of that before, but I want to I know more about the saying yes to things. What's something that you've said yes to that like you weren't so sure about, but, but went ahead with your commitment and said yes to, and it turned out okay. So that list has gotten really long in the last four or five years. And, and I really, when I made this commitment, I was going to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life, my motto, and I actually printed t-shirts and gave them away when I spoke that said, try new things. Mm. And I realized that that was a path that it worked in my life, but I had seen it in so many other people's lives in their path to success. And so I could go on for a half hour with all the things I've done in the last few years, but probably the biggest one is two years ago, I was going to be in New York. I was going to be the master of ceremonies for an association's like three-day event. And this association decided because they were in New York, they weren't going to compete with Broadway. They were going to have no evening events. So I was done every day as the master of ceremonies at like 3.30, which was awesome because I had a paid trip to New York. I was right in Times Square and I was free from 3.30 on every day. So I called another professional speaker who was a friend of mine and I said, let's do something. And he said, oh, well, the night that he was in town, he said, come with me to open mic night. He's not only a speaker, he's a professional comedian. And he said, come with me to open mic night. And my response was, I would love, I've been to comedy clubs my whole life. I would love to watch you work on new material. <laughs> And he said, that's not what I'm inviting you to do. I'm inviting you to come to open mic night and get up on the stage and do a five minute comedy set. And I recoiled back. I was like, no, no, <laughs> you know, I can't do that. I'm not that funny. I, I, I wanted to, when I was a kid, try comedy, but I never did. And he said to me, aren't you the guy who teaches try new things? Uh oh. And I was like, oh, dang it. I hate it when people throw your own content <laughs> back at you. <laughs> So I, I in, in Greenwich Village, you know, one early evening, I went with him to this open mic night and there were like 50 people in the room. There were about 20 comics who went up on stage. I signed up. My name was drawn and I did a five minute comedy set. And I'll tell you, Cheryl, Jerry Seinfeld is not worried about job security because I did this. It wasn't that good. It wasn't horrible, but it wasn't that good. But I learned something 
And then I made the commitment when I got home. I said, I'm going to do 100 open mic nights. And in the last two years, up until quarantine, I had done 96 open mic nights. So I'm, I'm four open mic nights away from reaching that goal in two years of doing 100. But it, it's changed me in a lot of ways. One is the people who hang out in comedy clubs are a lot different than the people who hang out at like banking events. And, <laughs> can and, only and imagine. In a good way, in a good way. Mm -hmm. But it's exposed me to a whole new friend group and a whole new set of people. But in addition to that, it's made me a better speaker and master of ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And not that I do comedy in my speeches per se, but it's that I am more playful with my audiences uh -huh. and I take more risks because I've learned doing the open mic night what it is to take a risk and really bomb. And so mm. I know when I'm given a speech, if I'm a little playful or a little fun, I know it's going to go over well because I just have the experience now. So mm -hmm. I, I tried it and I didn't just try it once. I tried it a hundred times, but it has made me, I mean, my clients have said, why are you better? I mean, we hired you back because you're really good. How mm. come you're better? And it's without question because I tried and stuck with the company. Mm -hmm. And, and you know that one of the things that I feel like is coming out of this experience of you doing open mic night is that you're, it sounds to me, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me that you're getting more and more in touch with authentic Tom, you know, because I know you to be a playful, fun guy, you know, in, in a non-business um, setting, in a non-speaking setting. I mean, you are when you're speaking too, but because I know you personally. And, and I, do you think that's true? Yeah, I definitely think that I'm, I'm more courageous to just be me. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do with this whole experience of trying new things. I, I'm scared of heights and I jumped off the stratosphere in New York and I went zip lining. Um, I used to weigh 30 pounds more. And three years ago, as part of trying new things, I tried to run a half marathon and it caused me to lose 30 pounds uh, in the training. So I, I do think it's just, mm -hmm. I, I've just gotten in touch, if you want to call it authentic, Tom, uh, We'll print shirts that say that, but uh, <laughs> it, it's definitely it's definitely had a positive impact on me mm -hmm. for sure. For sure, yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I've known you a while now, and I, and that's I've just watched you grow and and be even I mean more vivacious, if you will, and that's highly attractive. And for a master of ceremonies, totally because that just draws that energy. You know, it draws the participants out and you're giving them energy and they're giving you energy back. And it's such a great exchange. And it even translates into this new world where everybody's doing virtual presentations. I, I did a webinar for a client the other day and one of their attendees said, all I've been doing is going to Zoom meetings and webinars for the last four weeks. How come this one sucked less was the actual email they sent to the association president. And he sent it to me because he said, the, he goes, the answer was, is that you just brought this real true energy that they weren't getting in their other webinars. And so part of that, you know, it's true on stage, it's true in person, but it also translates to this, this current world where everything is a video Zoom meeting. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and one of the things that I typically ask people is how is there, how have you honed your genius? And you've already answered that question in terms of, you know, uh, the stand up, doing stand up and that kind of thing and just taking risks because I think um, that's got to be a huge piece of it right there. We can't get better if we're not willing to take some kind of risk. Yep. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, what would, what would you recommend um, our listeners do if they want to be 
if, if they want to be a professional speaker or even if they want to be more of more in touch with their their own genius what kinds of things might you recommend that they do i would look at what scares you so but I, I wasn't scared to get up in front of people i've spoken in front of ten thousand people as a professional speaker but that's sort of business tom mm -hmm. uh doing a comedy club in new york city was really scary and I, you know, I've done almost a hundred open mic nights, but I've also been featured as a comic in like three or four comedy shows. Those scared me because I got comfortable with open mic because open mic is just what it is that people are there to try good comics are bombing because they're trying new stuff. People are doing it for the first time, but to be one of five comics in a show, when I got asked to do it, I was like, oh, I can't do that. And, and I called the guy who brought me to my original open mic night. And he was like, why not? You know, all it is, is your best stuff from open mic for, I think I had eight minutes or something like that. So it scared me. So therefore I said yes and, and, and did it. So if somebody wants to grow in and expand, what is it in your business that, that scares you? Is it giving a speech? Is it uh, doing a video presentation? Is it managing people? There's all kinds of things that scare mm -hmm. people. And if we back off from it, we never get those skills. So that would be my advice is figure out what in your career or your life kind of frightens you and go, go own it. That sounds like such a, I'm all into processes and, and, and self-discovery. So that really aligns with my thinking. Sounds like a great exercise, you know, really to make a list of the things that scare you. And, and then also looking at if you could get past it, what are the possible benefits? So, you know, and then there's tons of ways to get past the head talk, you know, that I teach. And it's such a, such a great, uh, melding of ideas you know look at what scares you and then get past it and i think the possibilities are endless you know all kinds because well, there's always i mean there's always new things that scare you i'm still scared of heights so for my birthday this year i guess if we can if the world opens up by june uh i'm gonna go skydiving with a friend and that just to say the words out loud scares mm -hmm. me but you know so what i'll do it <laughs> i love it i love it <laughs> I, that's on my bucket list too. My bucket list was to um, walk the Camino and the Camino de Santiago in Spain. And yes. so that was on my bucket list. And that scared me because I wasn't sure that I could complete it because I don't work out regularly. I'm not a crazy, you know, workout person. I do walk regularly. And it was just two years ago I had back surgery. So I really wasn't sure if I could do it. And um and I did it and I, you know, I still feel that sense of accomplishment. Um, it was 11 days on the trail and it was the coolest experience I've ever had. So I do it again in a heartbeat. In five years, I'm taking six months off and I'm hiking the Appalachian Trail with my youngest daughter as soon as she graduates college. And awesome. I'm, not a, I'm not that outdoorsy. I've been prepping for it for the last couple of years, hiking and camping. Mm -hmm. uh, I got five more years to prepare because she has to graduate college before we will we'll do it. But, you know, people are like the Appalachian trails hard. It's six months of sleeping on the floor. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, the sense of accomplishment at the end of it must be amazing. Oh, it's gotta be. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, while I was on the Camino, one of the people that was walking with me, her daughter was on the Appalachian trail. And I thought about you at that time. Yeah. Cause yeah, that's, that's pretty funny. Awesome. All right. Let's see. So, um, what else, what is coming up for you? What's next? I mean, I, you know, we have this kind of weird environment that we're in right now. Uh, what norm, what used to be normal is not normal. And uh, where are you and what's up for you in the future, the near future? 
Yeah, so that giant sucking sound that everybody heard in March was my calendar evaporating for the next six months. Um, and it, I didn't see it coming. I didn't have a plan B. Uh, my business has been for 11 years sort of what they call a traditional speaker model. I don't have a consulting business. I don't do much coaching. I do some because every, every now and then someone will see me speak or they'll hear me on a podcast and they're like, you know, will you be my coach? And it's like, sure. Uh, so we customize it up and we figure out a plan, but I don't have like a pipeline of people to work with. Mm -hmm. So I went from a decent income to, to no plan. And in the last two months, you know, I'm, I'm not rolling in money, but we've figured it out a little bit. So there's a couple things. One is there's a misnomer out there that there's a lot of virtual speaking work. There's just not, you know, I mean, a lot of the people who are doing it, it's events they were already hired for that went virtual. Uh, but the organizations that really want to do their events right are really looking to hire a virtual MC to host a virtual conference. And there's not a lot of people with experience in this, but six years ago, my friend Eliz Green and I started a program called the Conference Talk Show. And the idea was conferences were looking at doing their live event, but then broadcasting part of it as what they called a hybrid. So there would be an online stream at a, maybe a lesser ticket price. Uh, and we created this program where we would turn that broadcast into like think live with Kelly and Ryan. We would turn it into sort oh, of a cool. talk show. And we did it several times as a prototype and people loved it, but nobody valued it. People didn't want to mm. pay for it. They didn't feel like investing in that at-home audience was as important as investing in the live conference. Well, mm -hmm. my belief is when this coronavirus crisis is over, the biggest meetings are all going to have a virtual component going forward. And so we resurrected uh, the conference talk show and started a thing we called the webinar talk show. And so she and I have turned webinars into interviews. Again, like, like a morning, like the Today Show in the morning. If you think about it, the Today Show or an award show on TV, it's not just a series of videos with nobody giving it context. The best ones always have a host or hosts who are there to sort of lead people through. So we created this conference talk show slash webinar talk show where we interview people and get more out of them. And mm. I'm, being, I'm being hired and Eliz and I are being hired to do that for several organizations. And I think that when we go back to live events, there's still gonna be a need for that virtual host in a way that didn't exist, say, five years ago. Or maybe even six months ago. <laughs> five weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> five weeks ago. I think you're absolutely right. And, and from what I'm hearing from uh, people around me that work for larger organizations, they've been working at home. And in fact, I just asked one this morning and I said, so, um, you know, the, 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 the rules are shifting. Are you guys going back to work? She says, nope. And, the, you know, it's like there, it means less real estate, less rent to pay, you know, all kinds of things for those organizations. And I think that we're going to see less travel to these types of events, which means it's going to add another kind of layer to our networking. You know, yeah, although you know, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate with you. I actually think a lot of people are saying that. I say we give it two years before we know where the reality is in that, because there's a lot of people who are like, oh, we're going to let people work from home to save on real estate. That's great until it doesn't work. Right. And until like, like people told me the other day, well, you're never going to get sponsors again because so many sponsors got burned on conferences that went away that they're not going to do it. And I said, yeah, until their competitor does it and gets business, 
Right. And then everybody's going to be sponsoring conferences again. People are like, oh, we're not going to let our employees travel because it'll save us money. Until their competitors go to those live mm-hmm. events and win a whole bunch of business, and then those companies will be sending everybody to live events. You're so right. I think this concept of the new normal is we're a little ahead of the game. We've only been at this for seven weeks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's give it like 17 months <laughs> and, and some time with coronavirus behind us mm-hmm. before people are saying, oh, we're not going to have offices anymore. Maybe, but Maybe. I, I think we have to get to the other side. But I do think we're going to use video more often. Mm-hmm. I think that some meetings will be held that way. Some people will be able to commute that way. But uh, I, I don't think the changes in the meetings business, 2019 was the biggest year ever for live meetings. And I bet you by the time we get to 2022 or 2023, that record is going to be shattered. I think people are hungry to get together in a live group. They just want to do it safely so that they don't die or kill their grandparents. So let's get on the other side of the crisis. And then I think you're going to see all this humanity come back because there are studies already saying that people are having Zoom fatigue and a lot of people aren't liking being on video all day. So it's great Mm -hmm. that we're saying, oh, we can do this, except there's a section of our people who are literally saying, I hate this. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I, I, I hate to jump on you with that, but I, oh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm just, a really strong believer that I don't know that there's going to be a new normal until it gets here. And I really, I agree with you. I think there's some where it's, it's going to be positive in some areas where they will continue to work at home. There will be a strong push to, for leaders saying, no, I want to have my eyes on you. And right. then they're going to have to bring everybody back because they're not comfortable with not being able to see what they're doing. You know? And there's something to be said for serendipity of when you're going to the water cooler and you stop by someone's cubicle and you say, hey, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, the new idea is sparked. Right. Sometimes that stuff, that stuff matters. And just to use personal lives as a thing, my daughter was supposed to get married two weeks from tomorrow. <laughs> and the resort where they were getting married made an early decision to close. So they knew seven weeks ago, there was not going to be a wedding on May 16th. There was a lot of people online who were like, do a Zoom wedding. Well, they live in a state where they've been asked not to travel out of the state because they were in a hotbed in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So his parents are in San, Di- in San Diego. We're in Texas. <laughs> Their friends are scattered all over the world. The rest of the family is scattered all over the country. My daughter said, we're not doing a Zoom. Like there was, there are people doing that. <laughs> right. But she's like, oh, no, 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 no. So they picked a new location. They're going to, it's not going to be a ski wedding in, in early May. It's going to be a beach wedding in October. And they moved Perfect. it, you know, to a different location mm-hmm. and they're doing it entirely differently. Now her comment was, I get to plan two dream weddings and keep the same fiance. <laughs> but you know, it's not like, it's not like the wedding business is going to go away. Well, you know, I mean, this idea of have a zoom wedding is novel, Mm -hmm. but she, my daughter was like, why would I do that? They already live together. She's already on his insurance at work. She's like, Mm -hmm. there's no reason I can't wait six more months. It's not going to kill the weddings business. And it's not going to kill the way we do business in our, in our other industries either. I agree. I agree. And I would want the, I would want the in-person wedding too. I (laughs) I told her I can't walk you down the aisle on zoom. I know. I have one job. I I know. One job at this wedding. (laughs) Oh, and you have to write the check too. Well, part of it. I'm not paying for the whole thing. Okay, good for you. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know how expensive weddings are? I do. I do know. I do know. I paid for my own. I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, 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 gave, we gave them a generous number and they said, thank you. We feel blessed to have this. And then awesome. they're, figuring out, they're figuring out the rest themselves. That's great. That's great. <laughs> well, before we close our podcast today, I want to make sure that people know how to reach you and get in touch with you. So how would you like people to connect with you? You know, I'm all over the place, right? But the, the hub of everything, <laughs> the hub is sort of TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. But, but I'll tell you a little secret. What? If they go to TomSinger, just T-O-M, the way regular people would spell it, TomSinger.com will redirect them to TomSinger.com. How so smart of you. E- either way, they'll yeah, find mess me. it up. You know, well, unless they spell Tom B-Y-R or something. But uh, but yeah, Tom, T-O-M or T-H-O-M dot singer dot com will lead you uh, to my website. And then I'm on all the social medias at Tom Singer, T-H-O-M singer dot com. Excellent. All right. Cool. Wonderful. Well, I just, you know, want to thank you so much for participating in this podcast today. It's fun. And, oh, it has been fun. It's been great. I really enjoyed it. And there's so many good things, so many takeaways that I got from what you said today. In fact, I want to recap a couple of them. So one of, the, one of my favorites, I think, was don't be afraid to fail. That's definitely one of my favorite. It goes, it goes along with trying new things, right? So you, they can't really be separate. Yeah, you can't try new things if you're scared to fail or you won't try new things. <laughs> exactly. So hand in hand. I love the idea about saying yes, you know, to whatever opportunity comes your way. Uh, and I, I can see how I could easily run into problems with that. Uh, but I need to be, you know, careful about the things I say yes to, but say yes more often. Well, one of the things is you asked me yesterday if I'd be on the podcast and I said, yes, let's do it tomorrow. And this so many, so many people, cause I have a podcast, I do two of them. So many people are like, yes, can we schedule that for August? And I'm like, August, I don't even know if I'll be breathing in August, <laughs> you know, come on, let's do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I agree. Let's make it, make it happen quick. Make it happen quick. Uh, let's see. And I love the idea of, you know, making a list of the things that scare you. I think that's a brilliant idea. And, you know, I love the t-shirt too. I'm going to have to see about getting a t-shirt, try new things t-shirt from you. <laughs> anyway, so um, again, thank you so very much for joining us today. I really appreciate it and love visiting with you. I am sure that this will, this information will really um, support our listeners and that's terrific. So that's what we're here for. So I want to thank all those of you who are listening today. I appreciate it. Again, my name is Cheryl Jones, and this has been Getting the Best Results Podcast. And you can find me at simplythebestresults.com. And that's Cheryl with a C, C C-H-E-R-Y-L, at simplythebestresults.com. Thank you so much, and take care, everyone.